0: Today on a special edition of Locked On Canadians, it is a crossover with Locked On Blue Jackets, in which we recap that Habs Blue Jackets game, in which the Canadians finally rebounded from some of the like I guess it's it's a couple of losing efforts and that wild game against Philadelphia. That's all coming up on this edition of Locked On Canadians. Locked On Canadians,
1: your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Blue Jackets and... Locked on Canadians for a special post-game squad cast crossover. Uh, Laura and I had so much fun with our pre-game one last week that we decided we would do another one this week. So uh, Locked on Blue Jackets, Locked on Canadians. This is Laura Saba, uh, also known as The Active Stick. I'm Jay Foster, here to bring you uh, what's going to be a really fun episode, I think, but also a really stupid episode because the game was real stupid. Before we get started, I want to thank everyone for making Locked on Blue Jackets and Locked on Canadians your first listen of the day every day. Locked On Blue Jackets and Locked On Canadians are available wherever you get your podcasts and also over on YouTube. So if you haven't subscribed to Locked On Blue Jackets, feel free to do so. It's a lot of fun. You should also subscribe to Locked On Canadians because we love Locked On Habs. They are good people and they deserve all of the YouTube subs. So, uh, Laura, let's get into it. Um, This game was so stupid it was so stupid
0: stupid. it was so (laughs) stupid and this is the thing is that like so we have a little group chat between locked on canadians and uh locked on blue jackets uh you know seeing as scott and jay are the same person he just talks to himself and and then i'm there uh, he answers himself it's just me flipping
1: between burners is what it is
0: yeah uh and so what happened was um Jay came in like slightly late going like what is going on with this game and I was like already like you know already at that point the game had started I think we were a few minutes in and I was like well the eye test is telling me that the Canadians are playing a really good game but then I looked at the underlying numbers and it was essentially a snooze fest.
1: Yeah, so I missed I missed most of the first period because I was asleep. Um, which it's fine. We don't we don't need to talk about it. I didn't need to call period. you
0: out there. You were so nice to me in the intro, and I'm like Jay was late.
1: <laughs> Jay was late to the game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's fine. I'm late. I am late everywhere. Um, it's fine. Um, but so the second period was It, it sure was twenty minutes of hockey. I guess. Um, I couldn't find, I was trying to send a gif that was, um, you know, the one, the one that's like someone slides into the net and then the camera pans and then the guy like skates into the camera and then falls over. Um, I was trying to find that gif and I couldn't, but that's what this second period felt like. It was just a whole lot of incompetence. Um, And then the third period, obviously, Matthew Olivier scored the opening goal after taking a real dumb penalty earlier in the game. Um, And then obviously, Arba Eye tied it up. Like, if you'd gone into, the, if I'd gone in going into this game, you'd been like, yeah, the first two goals are going to be scored by Matthew Olivier and Arba Jackai. I would be like, get out. um, And then I got stupider from there because uh, the goal would end up being the game winner was scored by none other than Blue Jackets legend David Savard, <laughs> um, scoring his first of the season, probably his only of only one of the season, um, if we're being brutally honest. I love David Savard. He is not a goal scorer unless you're playing the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, and then Sean Monaghan kind of put things to bed with with an empty netter. But I just, I, I don't remember the last time I saw a game where every single goal was just so unbelievably stupid.
0: I think one of the other things, the hallmarks of this as well, is that we're talking about, you know, Samuel Montambo was good. What was the number of goals like near misses or great saves like how did that not go in type goals as well like there was a little bit of both I was watching the game and at some point I looked up on natural stat trick Uh, if you watch either of our episodes or listen to either of our shows you'll know we love natural stat trick and one of the things that they have up there is a heat map of where the most high danger chances come from on the ice and it was really funny because for the Blue Jackets, it was literally in Samuel Montambo's kitchen. <laughs> whereas for the Canadians, it was like all these really weird areas. And so I think that was kind of a microcosm of the actual game and what goals were scored. I thought, like, I think, you know, that kind of tells you how well Montambo played, uh, but also just how, how lucky the Blue Jackets got for most of the game because the Canadians were just whiffing. The whole time.
1: Yeah. And I, I do think as well, like it, we talk a lot about how, how stupid the game was and how incompetent everyone was. Both goalies I thought were really good. Um, Sam Montembeau, I thought was phenomenal. He was not good uh, in the game last week. I thought, um, not necessarily through his own fault, more through the fault of, again, the defence being generally incompetent, which is kind of a running theme of both of these teams. But I thought Montembeau <laughs> had a really good game. Corposalo uh, has continued to impress me. Um, this season, I obviously, didn't get the win, but two goals on 29 shots is a pretty good night in anyone's books, I think. And uh, unfortunately, I think, but I think both teams were let down by the defence but Montebo I thought played a, a much better game and yeah like you say, let me see if I can share the um, uh, I cannot okay never mind I was gonna I was going to share the heat map. Um, I will post it I will I will tweet the, the heat map out because it is extremely funny that no Blue Jackets <laughs> basically just parked in the blue paint and for some reason the Canadians just decided to park in like the uh, the OV spot at the hash marks. Um, and that's where so many shots were, were concentrated, um, which again, feels, feels appropriate for this game that they decided actually what we're going to do is sometimes be in the crease and then mostly just create like an arch from one hash marks all the way to the blue line and then back down to the other side of the hash marks.
0: It's really Um, funny looking. And this is the thing is that it stayed that way mostly throughout the game, right? I kept checking it and checking it. And that's essentially what kept happening. Like it just, it kept intensifying. So for Canadians fans, obviously the Canadians were coming off of a terrible loss to the Buffalo Sabres. So one of the things that the Habs did was switch up their defensive pairings. And we're going to talk a little bit more about defense later in this episode, but they switched things up and, um, The defense against the Buffalo game was abysmal. Like you look at the numbers, the underlying numbers, you looked at what you saw on the ice, you looked at the raw stats, and then you looked at the underlying numbers, and all of it was bad. In tonight's game, it wasn't great, but it was it was not good, as Jay pointed out just a couple of minutes ago. But it was so much better than the night before that watching this game on the second night of a back-to-back, they looked a lot better than the previous night. They, like, they looked like a very competent team. And again, the underlying numbers don't tell that story. Like the Canadians did, did win. But I, I think from a Habs fan perspective, we should be happy about the way that they rebounded and the way that they readjusted after the Buffalo Sabres game. That was one of the things that we were watching out for. We wanted to make sure that Martin and Saint-Louis had some ideas. And
1: to me, this game was a positive. Yeah, for sure. I think it was kind of a positive. It's weird to talk about a win, a, a loss as a positive, but after the last few Blue Jackets games, uh, so they allowed four goals against Montreal the first time, uh, they ended up with the win. Uh, then they allowed six goals against Detroit and lost. And then they allowed three goals against Florida and got the win. Um, obviously, they allowed three goals again in this game, but one was an empty netter, an empty netter and therefore, sorry to Sean Monahan, but I don't believe that empty net goals count. So essentially, it was a 2-1 win um, for the Canadians. So it was really great to see the Blue Jackets kind of allow fewer goals than what they've been doing most of the season. Um, and it's interesting that you bring up Matan San louis actually, because I want to talk a little bit about him in the next segment, which we're going to get to in just a second. Um, I want to talk about the ways in which he's using Kirby Dark and how Kirby Dark has managed to succeed as a center playing the Because I think, and this is something I talked about in yesterday's episode, we touched on it in last week's crossover, um, about... The ways in which we could look at Kirby Dark as kind of a blueprint for what Kent Johnson could be. Um, so we're going to talk about that in a minute. First, I need to tell you about Bet Online uh, because it is where the game starts. It's your number one source for sports betting information, stats, news, and analysis. You can get odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from football, basketball, soccer. The World Cup is happening at the minute. And I know that... Canadians are big in their feelings about uh, the Canadians men's team. Obviously the team, uh, the England team is uh, big in their feelings as well. So if you want to put some money on the world cup, you can do it at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, and if you're listening to locks on blue jackets or locks on Canadians, I'm going to go ahead and assume that you love sports podcasts. You can find those about online as well. They are the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. This bet online is where the game starts. Before we go, wait, Before we get into the second segment, uh, I believe Laura would like to uh, solicit some mailbag questions for Locks On Canadians. So I am going to let Laura do her little <laughs> "please send us questions" spiel, and then we'll get right into the Kirby Dark and the Ken Johnson of it all.
0: What a lovely host you are, Jay. I honestly, I, I almost forgot for myself. I'm going to be on my own uh, for the Friday episode. Obviously, you know that the Friday episode is usually the mailbag episode and there is no game. So please send me your mailbag questions for the mailbag episode. It can be about the halves. It can be about even the rocket. I might ask Scott for some advice on that. Um, it, it can be about hockey. It can be about life. It can be about food. It can be about anything that you want. And you can send the questions. You can either tweet them at me at at The Active Stick on Twitter. At LO underscore Canadians is our uh, podcast Twitter account. And we will take them via DM on that as well. Email us at LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com. Or you can leave mailbag questions in the comments on the YouTube for this episode. Thank you so much, everybody. In advance.
1: I uh, am fully planning to. So I tweeted. We, we will get back to the episode in just a second. Um, I tweeted uh, uh, when I was extremely sleep deprived the other day about um, who the funniest NHL player to be the one human among a team of Muppets was, um, and so I fully expect you to do some thinking and think about which Canadian should be the one human on a full team of Muppets, and that is like, my uh, the that's funniest, my, my
0: question. Right? Like the Mm -hmm. funniest
1: one. Yeah, who's the funniest? Because like, obviously some, like Brendan Gallagher is pretty Muppet-shaped already. (laughs) Cole Cole Caulfield is also pretty Muppet-shaped. Josh Anderson, I feel like, is pretty Muppet-shaped. But like, thinking about the Canadians, I'm not sure who the funniest, who's the funniest one to be the single human and then everyone else is a Muppet.
0: Okay, I have some ideas. You should think
1: about that because that's what I'm going to ask every Lockdown host every time they ask for mailbag questions (laughs) from now until the end of time. Um, But we should talk a little bit about... um, I also think it would be very funny if Saint-Louis was the only human uh, just coaching a full team of Muppets. I think that's a pretty good (laughs) good option. Um, But I want to talk about um, something that we kind of touched on in the first segment. I touched on in yesterday's lockdown on Blue Jackets and we touched on uh, in last week's crossover. And that is Kirby Dark um, finding success as a center playing wing. Um, And this is something that Blue Jackets fans are kind of starting to become more familiar with. Kent Johnson was drafted as a center. I'm not sure that he can play center at the NHL. I think he could be a very serviceable center, but I think he could be an elite winger. We're kind of seeing that. Um, His possession numbers are among the best on the team. Um, And for some reason, they won't play him on the top line. So it's fine. I did a a whole rant about that in yesterday's episode. I will not rehash this rant um, in today's episode. But I wanted to ask, what you've seen so far from Kirby Dark, um, what lessons Blue Jackets fans could maybe learn from watching Kirby Dark play, and also, you know, if you have any thoughts on what you saw from Ken Johnson tonight, because I thought he had a kind of a quietly decent game.
0: I I think he he did like that's I would say that when I noticed him, I thought he was good. Uh, so let's 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 talk about Kirby Dark real quick. He obviously came in as a center. It, it definitely feel, felt like the intention was for him to be second or third line center on this team. And uh, if you listen to our podcast, you'll know that I listened to two interviews with both Jeff Gorton and uh, Kent Hughes. And they still think of him as a center, right? Like they're not, they're not out there telling Marte St. Louis what to do. But the reason they brought him onto this team is, is for him to be a center. He has some really, really, really strong hockey IQ. I think there are some lapses in his game. Like, you know, people talk about the face-off so much, but that's not the only part of being a center. So some of the things that he was doing on the ice, let's say in the preseason and the early season, you would watch him and you could tell that he has that vision, but there was some, like, he seemed out of step, right? Like physically, it seemed like it wasn't clicking. Like there was something there. And obviously he did come back from a long injury. He came here from a team that was awful, all of that, it, you take that into consideration, but they put him at center and then they gave him line mates to create chemistry with. And then Josh Anderson did everybody, a, you know, a disservice or a service or whatever. Um, and Kirby Doc ended up on that line. And I think it was just one of those things where Martin San Luis was like, let's try and see. I think when you take three players that have that kind of vision and put them all together, it's really lucky. Like they they have a lot of chemistry, but they see the ice the same way. They they have that IQ where you see two steps ahead, two plays ahead. Something that we talk about Nick Suzuki a lot, and so I think he's been thriving. And when you put him on the wing, you take that focus away from what he lacks as a centerman, right? Like a lot of the conversation in Montreal has been. Not like, you know, he's a bust or this trade was a bad idea or anything like that. I think even through the preseason, you would see like flashes of brilliance in him and people would feel comfortable with the way that the train went. But all of the quote unquote like flaws in his game were people were looking for, this is something you expect a center to have and he's either not great at it or we haven't seen it. And that was the focus. And I and like, I, I don't necessarily think that, He's not a center. If you listen to the GM and the executive vice president, they're still going to develop him as a center as much as they possibly can. But the fact that that, that line is so good, I think it, and and the fact that there's center depth on this team in the future, I think makes it possible for him to be a winger. Like if you, if you ask any team, right, I think – you would try to not force the center position. You would try to allocate resources such that this person can develop as a center to the best extent, pos- extent possible. Like centers are really hard to come by good ones, two way ones, all of that. They're really hard to come by. Uh, I, I just think that the Canadians kind of have this luxury right now where they have some promising picks in the pipeline, uh, some promising prospects in the pipeline, namely guys like Owen Beck. Like I think that's definitely somebody that you need to kind of like keep your eye on uh, as a centerman. They've got people that they can develop into those second and third line center roles. Assuming, let's say, you want your Nick Suzuki to be your number one center going forward to the, until the end of you know his time in Montreal, um, I think that you focus on developing other centers if Kirby Doc is providing the most value at wing.
1: Yeah, for sure, and as well, I feel like there's a there's definitely a, you know we talk about Kirby Doc's faceoffs not being very good. But they're not. I feel like having a second center on a line is never a bad thing, you know? If Sadookie gets tossed out of the face-off dark, then put you can put dark there, and then it means you don't have to, you know, you can keep Corfield Ca- free to do call Caulfield things uh, after the, the face-off win. And I think it's like this might be confirmation bias from from my perspective, but um I feel like there are so many more players listed as center than actually play center. You know, it feels very much like any kind of top forward nowadays is just billed as a center. And are they good enough to be a center? No, but I feel like centers get drafted higher. Um, Like I was trying to think, like Yuri Slavkovsky might be the first winger drafted first overall in, God, I don't even know how long.
0: I knew these well, I stats the in July, like, Jay.
1: Cool. No? <laughs> I
0: knew these stats in July when, when it happened. And now I've right. completely forgotten. So but this is the it's, thing it's... too, is that if you look at, if, if you look at Slav- Slavkovsky's like, um like um, profile or whatever, like he even said himself, I can play center if needed, right? Like it's the exact same thing that you're doing. It's it, That you said that you're alluding to right now is that like, People just kind of, like, ascribe center to, to a player to increase their value. And they do it to themselves to increase their own value. Whereas, like, somebody who's naturally drafted and developed as a center, uh, if, if they're better as a winger, I think they should just play as a winger. Like, I, I think it does not make sense to force them into that second or third line center center role if they just are better at wing. Like, I don't think – I think Kirby Doc is a perfectly good centerman. Like, I don't think that he's bad at it in any way. I just think that he's just shown so much more promise as a winger. And I think puck distribution is really, really important. And that's, that's, that's a responsibility that the center has a lot more than the winger would. Uh, and I think that's that's been a really big help because the whole focus of that line should be getting the puck to Cole Caulfield and keeping other people out of the way of Cole Caulfield. When you get a guy like Josh Anderson in there, he just barrels in. And distracts people with his size and his like bull in a china shop kind of demeanor, and obviously the shot that you know the the taking a shot and like banging himself into the boards. But my favorite
1: Henderson thing, yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah. I mean that that's his that's his move, right? Like that's how he plays offense, and then that's how he plays defense. It's exactly. But but when you have like when you have somebody who not only is a handful for the opponents, like for the defenseman, but also know how to distribute a puck to somebody who's good at goal scoring and who has that speed and vision, like that's a luxury. Like we're talking about how many goals Cole Caulfield is scoring and we haven't even played 20 games yet. I th- I believe this is game 20 for the Montreal Canadiens, if I'm not mistaken, 19 or 20. Like, so like we're talking about how many goals Cole Caulfield has scored. Like Kirby Doc has been on this line long enough for him to have had an impact on that, right? I really just think that in this case, instead of focusing on trying to improve what he's lacking, they put him on a line where he can be good, and then in the off season they can continue to work on, you know, the the or not even in the off season. Like they have a skills coach now. The Canadians have a full time skills coach. They can work on the face offs. They can work on those little things. They can work on the, fa- the the steps that he's behind or the outer step or, you know, there's sometimes like there's something off about his timing. I think when he's playing center and and that I, I, people might disagree with me but that feels like what's wrong when i watch him play so those are all little things that he will need to improve if he's going to stay at center but they can still do that while they play him at wing they can still develop those skills and have him work on them they can give him off-season homework to work on them if they don't work on it during the regular season so i'm not too fussed and i think like this i i'm, I'm i want to answer your question like it depends on is it because he's not doing well at center, or is it because the top line needs him more, is the question.
1: Yeah, that's that's a really good question, actually. I do think it's a little bit of both, um, in terms of Kent Johnson specifically. Um, and it's it's been an ongoing frustration that every time he goes onto the top line, good things happen. And then the next game rolls around and he's back on the second or the third line and the head coach is preaching patience and he has to learn to play the right way. And then, you know, um, pulling up the stats from this game, uh, that second line of Kent Johnson, Jack Rostovic, and Trafix Wolanski had a Corsi 4 percentage of 66%, you know? Um, and then you look at the top line, 593 it's, I don't know, it's just, it's so frustrating that basically everything that he's saying that he needs Ken Johnson to do, he's doing, and he still doesn't, it doesn't feel like he's getting rewarded for it. Um, I, I, We do have to move on in a second, but I just want to finish off with one final thought, especially in terms of, you know, the, the Kirby Duck and Ken Johnson specifically. And this is something that the Blue Checkers have had center issues for basically since, like, Rick Nash left. Um. <laughs> Which is fine. But Sounds about uh, oh, right. since Ryan Johansson left, I guess he was probably their last really good center. Um, the Blue Jackets have had a lot of wingers move to center and a lot of centers move to wing. And I think Kirby Dak is a really good example of someone who has been able to utilize the skills that he had learned playing center on the wing. Because, yeah, they're both forwards. Yeah, they bo- both positions should be about scoring goals. But they do it in different ways. And it's very much, um, I think a lot about Boone Jenner specifically, who's our de facto number one center at the minute, which, I mean, you, you feel one way or the other about that. You feel how you feel. I feel like Boone Jenner is a much better winger than he is a center. But you can see that the, all of the reasons he is a good winger are things that he's learned playing center. Um, If that makes sense. And this is just kind of, this might not be a thing. This might just be me kind of spitballing and, you know, confirmation bias, but I feel like all of the things that make Kirby duck so effective on the wing are things that he is doing as a sentiment. You know, it's, it's all about uh, where he is on the ice. It's um, you have that ability to play transitionally at center that you don't necessarily learn as a winger and it's kind of baked into the game at center. So you move to the wing and suddenly you're like, oh, I have so much more space. I have so much more time. I don't have to be the first guy back checking. I have, you know, I can, there's a lot more ice for a winger than a center. And I, I think, and I think that's a big, a big part of specifically Kirby Duck's success and something that I would love Ken Johnson to kind of really thrive on as well. I think he's he's not quite there yet, but every time I watch this kid play, he's, he's getting better and better. He's figuring it out. And I just wish that the coaching staff was seeing the same things that so many fans and media people are. Um, and we should go from offense to defense um, in the next segment. Uh, we're going to finish off with uh, a bit of a chat about uh, our friend, Blue Jackets legend, David Savard, who, like I said before, if you're only going to score one goal in a season, this one was a pretty good goal to score. So we're going to talk about that in just a minute on Locked On Blue Jackets and Locked On Canadians Squadcast Edition. So, Laura, I believe you have a question about David Savard for for me.
0: I do. (laughs) I, you know, I don't want to really gratuitously dump on David Savard this is something that in Montreal we have had criticisms of him and I think by and large the defense of him has been he's not built for the way that he's being played and it was not his fault that Mark Bergevin uh, signed him to do to play a game that he is not built for but I want to ask you Jay can you tell me about a time that David Savard was good
1: not to have a hot take or anything, but yes, actually. <laughs> um, and I know, you know, the joke for a long time has been that David Savard is only good against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, you know, he, he only scores goals against them and he's struggled in Montreal. And I think towards the end of his tenure with the Blue Jackets, he struggled as well. But and this is something that I was actually talking about with my um fiance a couple of weeks ago we were talking about david i don't remember why we talked about david survived but his his name came up in conversation and i was reminded of i think it was it was the 2016 17 season i believe or the 17 18 season he was paired with jack johnson on the second line um you know avalanche legend jack johnson Uh, penguins legend jack johnson he's been playing for a million teams i i love jack johnson is he very good no but i do love him um they had the highest plus minus in the entire league as a duo that season and like your opinion may vary on how useful plus minus is as a stat for you know ranking defensive metrics things like that but it's something that i kind of was like those guys really and then looked into it like they were one of the best shutdown pairings in the entire league. Um, and this was a time where, you know, this was when the Blue Jackets top four was Seth Jones, Zach Wierenski, David Savard, and Jack Johnson. And then they had Ryan Murray and Marcus Nudavara on their third pairing. And everyone was like, man, the Blue Jackets kind of really quietly have one of the, def- the best defensive cores in the league.
0: I remember that and time. Then-
1: Obviously, just, only it's... one of those guys is still on the on the Blue Jackets because <laughs> you know time marches on, and um, Zakarenski's out for the season injured anyway. But there was a time where David Savard was the shutdown defender on the Blue Jackets, and kind of in the Metro Division. You know, I don't think he was quite as good as, say, Nicholas Johansson, who, for my money, is maybe the best shutdown defender in the in the modern NHL, but he was very, very good at, like, three things. And luckily, they only needed him to do those three things. And so that kind of, I think, touches on what you were saying about trying to fit David Savard into a system that doesn't necessarily have space for him and trying to make him into a player that he's not. I think David Savard peaked, really, with the Tampa Bay Lightning, the year he won the Cup with them, because... He went from being, you know, kind of a load-bearing defenseman on the Blue Jackets to playing very limited, very sheltered minutes on an extremely good Tampa Bay team. And he is one of those guys that can be really good for a team as long as he's not playing up in the lineup. You know, he is, for for better or worse, you know, and at this point in his career, he is a third-pairing defenseman that needs to play sheltered minutes and cannot match up against top line centers on the other team but if you put him out against you know a third line or a fourth line make sure he has a semi-competent partner like I think that you can get you you can get good to great hockey out of David Savard if you temper your expectations
0: I think that's the problem is that they had been playing up until the Blue Jackets game they'd been playing him with Caden Gooley who's the man who's playing the most minutes on this team who's the boy I guess who's been playing the most minutes on this team right Caden Gooley as we talk about very much like this is I I threw in a Kane Gooley uh, conversation in this episode too in this crossover episode too we talk about him a lot we make excuses to talk about him a lot for a reason he is a very very talented defenseman who has really uh in the you know 18 19 20 odd games I- I'm pretty sure we're at 19 but I can't go check now I don't want to make noise at Russell in the in the um in the podcast recording he has quietly become so good. And then, so they have David Savard there because who else are you going to put there? A B and like the veteran whole like, you know, the, the, the mentoring aspect that, that teams so often believe in all of that. Like, I understand why he's been playing. He's been playing there, but in the game against Buffalo, their core C4 was something like 5%, Scott said, their expected goals were, were like, like, <laughs> li- like literally 5% out of a hundred. like, Um, or whatever it was like, you'll listen to the last episode. So, you know, David Savard is not built to be your second defenseman to your top defenseman, right? Like that's not what he's there for. So it's very much like you said, you put him on the third pairing and you give him a competent partner. You're going to get what David Savard is, is for out of David Savard and, and, and Tortorella. (laughs) So against the Flyers, so the Flyers were in town on Saturday and he got asked about, uh, Uh, I think he got asked about David Savard because the the era that that Jay was talking about where, you know, they were the top pairing, I believe was under uh, John Tortorella, right? So he was asked that and he was like, he was talking about how much he loved him and then he was like, he can't skate. He couldn't skate back in the day and he can't skate now. (laughs) So essentially, basically he said he was washed. Um, So, uh, you know, Tortorella doesn't mince words. Like, that's the thing. It's like, I love David Savard, but he's not built this and the thing that drives me crazy is that we keep talking about how old he is and he's a 90s baby
1: <laughs> yeah he's he's about my age and I, like it's weird i think that he looks older with the beard and because he's been around for a long time but yeah every so often i do remember i'm like oh he's i think younger than me uh only just and that makes me feel like the crypt keeper um <laughs> but yeah it's Basically, the, the, the thing about David Savard is the thing that the Blue Jackets need to do with Eric Branson as well, which is he's getting caved in basically every time he's on the ice. Um, uh, but because everyone on the Blue Jackets is dead, he's playing like 25 minutes a night. Um,
0: except when Michael Pizzetta.
1: Except when Michael Pizzetta decides to
0: obligingly fight. Obligingly our our, our
1: smallest and youngest, Jake. Uh, we have three Jakes, um, and he's the <laughs> babiest one. So um, I don't like fighting, and I think it was a stupid fight, but Michael Bezetta is on my list. Um, but, yeah, like that, that's the thing for me is, with David Savard is temper expectations. Don't expect great things out of him um, and maybe find Caden Gooley another permanent defensive partner because he, I really liked Gooley in this game. Um, I thought he had a a phenomenal game. I didn't think he was very good in the first game that they played uh, that was last was he, he had a couple of kind of welcome to the NHL moments. Um, I thought he was really good in, in this one. I thought he showed a lot of points. And uh, how much of that is him having a good game versus him being free of the David Savard shackles that the, <laughs> the Canadians have given him. Um, I want to point out, I, I feel like I've been really negative about David Savard. Um, I love David Savard. Uh, I think he's, again, he's really good at, like, three things. And so you, you need to get him to do those three things only. Um, but, I mean, that's that's hockey, you know? They can't, not everyone can be good at everything. Um, so, just <laughs> let David Savard do what David Savard does. Don't get mad that he's not scoring goals and he's not, like, make beat it, winning foot races against, you know, kids that are 22 and have been skating longer than I've been alive um that's mathematically impossible but my, my point still stands um I think we're gonna finish up here though uh, before I continue rambling for the next 17 minutes listen um, I rambled for
0: 17 <laughs> minutes about was... Kirby Doc
1: <laughs> <laughs> this was as always a delight um I love to record with Laura um, at some point, you might find Scott and I in the same room together, but I wouldn't count on it. Um, <laughs> been, uh, Locked on Blue Jackets and Locked on Canadians, Squadcast edition. Uh, I've been Jay Foster. That's Laura Saba. Uh, she is at The Active Stick on Twitter. I am at underscore Jacob Foster, J-A-K-O-B-F-O-R-S-T-E-R. You can find Locked on Blue Jackets at L-O underscore Blue Jackets. You can find Locked on Habs at L-O underscore Canadians. Uh, you can... Email me if you have comments, questions, criticisms. Locked on Blue Jackets at gmail.com. Locked on Habs is at locked on Canadians at gmail.com. You can see yes. the theme here. Um, <laughs> you can find both podcasts on YouTube. If you want to go hit the subscribe button. Um, locked on Blue Jackets fans, I fully recommend listening to Locked on Canadians. Uh, Laura and Scott are very, very smart and say lots of great and interesting things all of the time. So you should go and subscribe to them on YouTube. Uh, if you're not subscribed to me on YouTube, then you should do you that should. as well um sure. Canadian fans I uh, I can promise a good time with minimal yelling uh <laughs> so you can find both shows uh, in exactly the same place uh podcasting app of choice uh thank you once again for making this your first listen of the day whether you are listening to Lockdown Blue Jackets or Lockdown Canadians we appreciate you thank you for listening uh and then we will uh, both be back with individual shows on Friday, Laura will be doing uh, a mailbag episode and uh, Locked on Blue Jackets will be, I don't know, having some fun. But uh, until then, make sure you stay locked on.